If you've listened to country music at all, you've likely heard of the country artist Rodney Atkins. He's got several, him, several different songs out there that are rather well known. One of those is Watching You. If you've ever heard that song, you've heard the basic storyline that goes with this. That there's a dad and his son and they're out going along and all of a sudden the father realizes that his son has picked up, picked up a few bad habits that the father has. And the father asks the son, where did you learn these things? The son answers, I've been watching you. And later on, the father is sort of repentant and he goes and he starts to pray. And later on that evening, he notices his son praying as well. And he watches as the son is so intently in prayer and he asks, where did you learn to pray like that? The son again answers, I've been watching you. At the very end, the climax of the entire song, it remind, the son reminds the father that no matter where I go, no matter what I do, I'll always know what to do because I've been watching you. And it's a rather sentimental and a beautiful song to listen to, and I would certainly encourage you to do that. And even though it's not theological, it represents a human reality. The fact that we tend to watch others, that we want to watch examples, we want to watch models, and we want to know how to do things, and so we usually watch those that are experienced, those who know what they're doing. But when it comes to matters of faith, we so often have different leaders, we have different people that we watch, but are we watching God our Father? Do we hear His encouragement leading us on into the path of virtue and even leading us into deeper relationship with Him? Because I dare say as we listen to the readings this morning and listen to the gospel as well, we're given that simple encouragement to take God on as our example. But what exactly does that look like? The first reading this morning comes from the book of Leviticus, and this book is largely a book of law, that after the Israelites had escaped the slavery that they had to the Egyptians, they were all of a sudden without any sort of structure. And so Moses is speaking on behalf of the Lord and giving them all of the structure, all of the law, the rule, the regulation, all of the things that they need to live as a society and as God's chosen people. And so he's going through and he's laying out all of these things. And the very first thing that Moses said whenever he's speaking to the Israelites, Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Right there, that could be something that's rather difficult to grapple with. But then the Lord, through Moses, starts to lay out exactly what this looks like. To harbor no grudge, to harbor nothing against your neighbor, to go and to love your neighbor as yourself, to do all of these different things. And these things are rather difficult, and yet they're nonetheless important. That it's all a reminder of the ways that the Lord is presenting these laws for them to interact with their brothers and their sisters, but also not to commit any sin on behalf of others, to hold and harbor no grudge, yes, but also to not sin because of others or because of what others might do, but to rather live in the holiness that God provides. But again, what does that look like? We'll return to that thought in just a moment. We continue on and we hear St. Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians, which we've been continuing for several weeks, and yet he's continuing a central theme that was present last week. He's going on about wisdom, but first he wants to present it in a different framework. And so he starts off reminding those that are listening that you are the temple of the God and the Spirit dwells in you. Then, in fact, he wants to remind them of something is essential to the fact that they want to possess wisdom. Because last week we talked about wisdom, but it kind of seemed abstract. Because it's there, and it's told that we need to pursue God's wisdom and not worldly wisdom. But what exactly does that mean? Where does it come from? 
Well, St. Paul's actually indirectly answering that because he's telling us that we are God's temple, that we are the ones that the Spirit dwells within. That is where wisdom comes from. That's where God's wisdom comes from. That is where we find those gifts of the Spirit. And that's how we find that he's pouring those out in, in abundance upon us. So he's telling us to forsake that wisdom again of the world, to forsake that wisdom that seems to make people large and important, very haughty and very lofty, to forsake that and put it to the side, to become as a fool, so as to become truly wise. What he's meaning is to open ourselves up in humility, to seek after the ways that the Lord wants to give us that true wisdom, the ones that, that thing that re we really need, that he's telling us to seek after that, to seek after God's spirit and the wisdom that that provides, because that's really where true wisdom is found. So we have to forsake everything else, but we have to make room for what the Lord wishes to provide, that true wisdom and indeed his own spirit. Then finally, we continue on in the book of Ma the Gospel of Matthew, and we're continuing that series of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's reminding us of those different things that Jesus is teaching. Not only that he's holding up the old commandments, but in fact, he's telling us to live them out more deeply, to live them out in a more complete and full way. And so he continues on in this very way. So he starts off at the very, very beginning. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, and he goes through and he lays out all of these different things, that if one strikes you on the cheek, turn the other one. If one goes to law over your tunic, hand over your cloak as well. To do the unexpected, to do the difficult thing, to take the upper road, to really see and to give until it hurts. But what's further? He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies as well something that seems very difficult to do, that as Jesus is upping the ante, he's reminding us of the ways that he's making it just a little bit more difficult, or at least it seems more difficult, to live out the gospel values and the gospel message. He's continuing, and he goes forward, he's telling us about even our enemies, that they deserve our love, they deserve our respect and our care. But why? Perhaps the answer is found in this very last line, to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. But doesn't Jesus hear what he's saying? Don't you think that that's a little bit harsh? Doesn't he see that that's practically impossible? Doesn't he see how difficult it is that whenever people slander you, whenever they lie, whenever they go in front of you, and even whenever they physically slap you in the face, doesn't he see how difficult it is to live out the gospel in those moments? Yes, he does. Because, in fact, Jesus is very familiar with those moments, and all too familiar. Because if we look at the reality of the cross, we see someone who's undergone every sort of persecution, every sort of physical violence, every sort of effacement to his person. That we see one that is not unfamiliar with all of the different things that go wrong in life. Not all of the different ways that our enemies come up and they go to us and they cause life to be much more difficult to live out. That, in fact, Jesus is all too familiar with that condition. But he calls us anyway. He tells us that simple line, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, because it's such a challenge, because we need to be reminded time and time again of that call that is still there, even whenever the world points and accuses us of different things, or even says that we're not living life rightly, that in fact the world is not right in these cases, and Jesus wants to remind us that we're still called to be perfect in an imperfect world. He's not giving up on this idea, and he's not giving us a free pass 
pass or a free excuse, but in fact, he knows it's possible. But how is it possible? How in the world are we supposed to love our enemies? How in the world are we supposed to not take retaliation on those who want to do us harm? Because God shows us how to love. Because in fact, whenever we're reminded of all of these things and the ways that the Lord is telling us not to seek retaliation or not to seek our revenge upon our enemies, in fact, he's doing it because he wants to remind us of the love that he has for them, but also for each one of us. Because if we truly believe in that love that the Lord has for each and every one of us, and if we pray for that grace to feel it abundantly, then all of a sudden what our enemies do doesn't matter. And in fact, we feel sorry for them because we see of what they're doing and the ways that they're causing life to be more difficult, or even the ways that they're hurting. Then in fact, if we pray for that grace to know just how deeply and how intimately our Lord comes to us and loves us so, then in fact, we're going to renounce all of those other things because we know what is the better way and the way that our Lord is paving out for us. Because in fact, our Lord is aware that he sees all of our enemies, he sees all of those that make life difficult, those that call us names, those that belittle us, those that cause us harm, or even cause us to just doubt ourselves, and even cause us to feel that woundedness within our hearts and our souls. That our Lord is very aware of all of these challenging moments, and even the fact that these might be most, some of the most difficult moments it is to live out that Christian message and even the core of the gospel. But he still wants to encourage us anyway. But he isn't doing that to give us a task to do alone, but in fact, he reminds us that we're to walk with him, that we're to be the ones that are always following him to the depths of our despair, or even the depths of our loneliness, or even whatever our human condition is and whatever ails us, that in fact, he's walking with us to that very place, and that he's not asking something that's impossible, but by his grace and by his presence is made possible. And so, in fact, that is the reminder that the Lord isn't leaving us to our own devices or telling us to go do the hard thing, I'm over here. But in fact, he's telling us that I'm with you. Let's do this together. And so what do we do? What do we walk away with today? Well, we see these three different callings that we're reminded to do. That in fact, each of the readings gives us a particular moment to consider. First, we can look at the gospel, then hear that calling. Be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. But maybe we don't feel like we're quite up to that task, and that's okay. Maybe we can move to the first reading in that that book of Leviticus. Maybe we can hear that calling, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Maybe that seems like it's more approachable, but maybe it doesn't just yet. Maybe we're very aware of our brokenness, our human condition, or how quick we are to anger or to point fingers at the other person that makes us feel so badly. Maybe we don't feel holy just yet. Well, then that's okay. We can move to St. Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians, because he reminds us that we are God's temple and that the Spirit dwells in us. Maybe it's enough to just settle for finding the ways that we can become that better temple. Maybe the ways that we need to be reminded that God's Spirit is dwelling in us and he's trying to give us that holiness and that perfection we desire, even though we might not feel like we're just ready for it yet. Even there, St. Paul's giving us just that baseline and that firm foundation to realize that the Lord is in our midst, that he's asking us to do something tremendous. He's asking us to live life in a difficult way and in a different way than everyone else does, but he's giving us that grace, that he's giving us that spirit, that he wants to give us the ability to live this life, but to live it well. And indeed, maybe we can start there. 
And I dare say this is an opportune time because we're getting ready to start the season of Lent this week. Now I'll say, and I'll be the first to say it, that it's not particularly one of my favorite seasons necessarily, and yet it's one of the most holy. Because in fact, it encourages us to go through prayer, through penance, through all of these things that really help us to understand and to delve into that reality that God is asking us to do the hard thing. But he's not doing it on his own. He's not asking us to do it on our own strength. But in fact, he's asking us to do it because he's with us. And I dare say that's where our homework lies. Because in fact, we're getting ready to start this season of Lent. And I dare say that as we hear the gospel, as we hear the first reading, and even as we hear that first letter to the Corinthians, it brought to mind a few different things on our hearts and our souls. Some things that we're aware of that we're not doing just perfectly yet. Maybe some old grudges that are, we are holding on to. Maybe some desire for resentment. Or we see some past hurts or some past wounds that we really haven't let go of or haven't let the Lord have dominion over just yet. Or maybe we just find areas of weakness, some anger, some hostility, or some different areas of healing that need to take place. Are we willing to surrender those up to God? Because now is a perfect time to seek maybe one or two of those ways that we feel the Lord's laid it on our hearts and on our souls to seek after that area of healing, to ask him to fill that area with his grace and his blessing so that we can experience that healing and we can experience what we need to be a disciple and to be one well. Because, in fact, as we see the readings and the gospel, they give us some very hard things to measure up to, that they give us some very hard metrics and some benchmarks that might seem impossible, even perfection itself. But we're not given those to live out ourselves, but, in fact, we're given them because God, our Heavenly Father, accompanies us in every way, in every place. He wants to give us that grace that even during the season of Lent, that we can excel, we can do well, and we can experience that healing and that abundance of mercy that He so desires. But it's not without knowing that he loves us first. And even if we need to pray for that grace to feel God's love in a new and powerful way, that's a beautiful way to start this season and to start the season of Lent. Because in fact, he wants to show us just how much he loves us, not just our neighbor, not just those who get in our way, but he loves us first. And he wants to show us that so that we can experience that love and we can experience giving that love to one another as well. My brothers and sisters, as Rodney Atkins was noting, he saw the ways that his son was watching, the ways that his son wanted to be just like him, that even in the future, even in the difficult circumstances, his son was confident because he had always been watching the example of his dad. It should be very much the same with us because God our Father is giving us a beautiful example, a beautiful model, and he wants to show us just how much he loves and cares for each one of us. So truly, maybe that song has something of a theological theme after all. Because if a son can watch his father, how much more can we watch our father? And we can seek after that model and that example that he holds in front of each one of us, but he also accompanies us and makes it possible to be perfect, just as our Heavenly Father is perfect. My brothers and sisters, we see God and we see the ways that he gives us a beautiful example, and he continually challenges us to live well and to live those gospel values. Let's seek after his heart and let's seek after his grace and his help and his heavenly aid so that we can also not just watch God our Father, but in fact we can be like him in all things.